Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love the show, share it with your friends and join our newsletter at eu.vc. Today, we're happy to welcome Julia and Renee, partner and managing partner at Set Ventures. Julia's mission is to reduce the climate impact of the energy sector through digital innovation together with industry-leading entrepreneurs. René co-founded Set Ventures in 2007. He has 25 years of experience in technology, investing in both deep tech and in energy transition with a background in corporate venturing and venture capital. If you enjoy our content, do support us by hitting the follow button, giving us a review and following the European VC on LinkedIn. Vauban, a Qatar company, is now making it even easier to launch your angel syndicate with their new product called Atom. Angels provide first checks and are an integral component for founders to launch their businesses. With Atom, angels can band together to launch an SPV for $2,000 plus 2% of the raised capital, which is up to $200,000. There's lower fees, more deals, and more equity ownership in the best tech companies. Check it out at vaban.io forward slash EUVC. And don't forget to mention EUVC. Renee, Julia, welcome to the European VC. It's awesome to have you here. How are you guys today? Doing very well. Doing great. Thanks. You too, David. Awesome. I hear you're, you're tuning in from Amsterdam, am I correct? Yeah. Correct. That's where we both reside. Awesome, awesome. I know the weather isn't great, but hopefully we can we can make it a, a cheerful and, and and snappy conversation. Before we start, I really want to take the time to hear a bit more about Set Ventures. Set Ventures, if I'm not mistaken, has been around since 08, roughly. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's something that very few in our industry can claim, right? And Renee, I think this is best directed at you as a question, which is: Could you share with our listeners how did Set Ventures come to be? And maybe also before doing that, just give us a quick a quick intro. Who the hell is Rene? Yeah, Rene Salzberg, one of the co-founders of uh, Set Ventures. Uh, prior to that, I uh, was at uh, Philips Electronics for um, a good number of years, where I ran the corporate venturing uh, activities of Philips Electronics worldwide, uh, with setups in San Francisco, in uh, Amsterdam, and in Tel Aviv. And uh, I started my career uh, way back when at a Small company, four people. Now we call it a startup. In my days, we call it just a simply a small company that was growing very quickly. That is how it all came together. So if you ask me about uh, how uh, Set Ventures yeah. got going, I think that's a very, very timely subject because what we are seeing today is that across the world, governments are responding to the requirements of keeping the energy supply up uh, to the levels that we are used to. And with the situation in the world on gas that is not available in the abundancy and we want to CO2 cuts, we are in the middle of uh, government seeing, you know, putting stuff together to mitigate this. 15 years ago, actually, SET already uh, exists for 15 years. We just celebrated our 15th birthday. But 15 years ago, the Dutch government decided that the nuclear plant, the only nuclear facility we have in the Netherlands, was uh, allowed to stay open for another 30 years instead of being closed down in 2013. And as a result of that decision, the two owners of that facility had to set up an independent fund that would focus on sustainable energy technologies. And it just happened to be that me and uh, my business partner, Walter Jonk, were asked to set up that fund and to manage it from that moment on, which we started to do in the middle of 2007. And that was the birth of Set Ventures. 
And we always like to ask the question, why SAT Ventures? It's SET Ventures. Why, why that name? Well, actually, I answered it already because the government asked us to set up a fund that was focusing on sustainable energy technologies. Ah, and uh, we, 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 thought, we thought long about the name and, uh, you know, we just abbreviated it into SET and uh, that uh, has been a perfect name ever since. <laughs> and uh, Julia sitting there nodding and thinking, yeah, we could have had a cooler name. <laughs> coolest we could come up with <laughs> and by now it has become a very cool brand because of what we made it into yeah yeah exactly that's the right way to say it, julia so i have another question which goes a bit back in time which is that you know the first round of funds that invested in clean tech they weren't exactly well performing set ventures weren't one of those that that really broke their neck in that first cohort if we should call it that tell us a bit about you know first of course, also share a bit with this, the story of the market, but also tell us what is it that, that allowed SET to come out stronger on the basis of that period rather than uh, killed as most funds were. Yeah, I think it's a very, very relevant question because uh, when Wouter and I started SET Ventures in 2007, quite frankly, we did not know a lot about the energy uh, sector itself. We came out of, you know, uh, Philips, where we both were involved for a long time in doing investments. So the VC game, we knew very well, but we did not know very well what was going on in the energy sector. And for the first year, we looked around and we did not make any immediate investments, even though obviously our LPs wanted us to do so. But we wanted to really map out the environment and see what was happening. What we saw, uh, that became really the, the driving force in our thinking about what the strategy should be for Set Ventures was that you know, all the renewable generation was on a path towards a cost down and more efficiency uh, in that space. So wind, solar, and all the other uh, renewable generation was on a way down from a cost perspective. And investing as a VC with a, a limited amount of money was going to be very challenging in those spaces. Therefore, we took our uh, experience from that we had from Philips and said, you know, the critical path for the energy sector to, to transition is not only to generate power in a different way, in a CO2-free way, but also to be more granular, to include digital technologies and, uh, and make sure that the business models that the energy world is driving on is going to be different from what it was in the past. Today, that sounds like, yeah, everybody knows that. But I have to, actually, I'm very proud of everything we have done, obviously, but I'm very proud that we very early on saw this, this change happening. And the proof in the pudding was actually when we invested in a UK-based company called AlertMe. Very early on, we were the first investor in that company, that, which basically was a first incarnation of a, a digital software hardware-based solution for energy management in the home. Ultimately, it has been acquired by Centrica, and I made Hive out of it, and that is all history. But you know, it illustrated very early on that Wouter and I drove towards the digitalization opportunities instead of going into the large generation opportunities that the clean tech sector was filled with. And we believe that not only these businesses were very tough to manage, but also the capital intensity that these developments needed in order to create a solar panel facilities or to create the new wind turbine solution were very, very capital intensive and not for us. And I think that is one of the reasons we survived. Yeah, so out of all the, the clean tech funds that started in that vintage, so 2006 and 2008, uh, from the ones that were focused on clean tech and energy, we are really one of the only ones that are still alive today. Yeah. I'm curious, though, to then ask, because now we're seeing, you know, you were more on the digital side back then. And now we're kind of seeing a flowering or blooming of VCs that focus more, that are not as hardware frightened as as we all 
we're taught that we have to be back back in 0708. I'm curious to hear, you know, where are you now? Are you more into that kind of thing now or are you still uh, would rather do the digital stuff? Well, we're clearly not afraid of hardware. However, it, it still needs to be, they still need to be asset light, fastly scalable companies with an innovative software or service layer. So that should be the basis of the business model. And it's great that all these other VCs are focusing also on hardware because that's absolutely needed. So according to the Climate Policy Initiative and Energy Monitor, the world should by now have spent over $3 trillion on climate finance to meet the 1.5 degree global warming targets. Uh, while we have spent less than $1 trillion. Hmm. So over the year, much more capital is needed also in hardware to cap that huge bridge. Luckily, governments and corporates are now starting to allocate huge amounts of funding to the energy transition. And because of that, we've seen that now about 20% of the physical infrastructure required for the energy transition has been realized, which doesn't really impact the system at all. But over the coming years, the remaining 80% of renewable generation and decentralized energy consumption will be implemented. And this will have a very disruptive effect on the whole system. So it may cause severe power outages and integration issues that everyone in society and every business is basically going to notice from close by. And at Set Ventures, we're still convinced that digital solutions for balancing this whole system are going to be the bottleneck here. And that at least the same amount of money will be spent on that as on the hardware for the energy transition. And those digital solutions, we believe that startups are going to provide the solution for this. I'm curious, you're Amsterdam-based, your investment thesis, we didn't entirely hear, you know, geo, stage, what type tickets, all that kind of info. Could you give us that just for everyone to understand? Okay, we're Amsterdam-based, but we also have a venture partner in Germany, and we invest all over Europe. Large part, of course, in the Benelux and the Dach region, but we also have several investments in uh, Spain, Scandinavia, and, and rest of Europe. We typically invest in Series A. Uh, but it could also be late seed or series B. So we call that early growth stage. Uh, so when we really believe that the company is ready to scale rapidly in the next 12 to 18 months. And our typical ticket size is between one and five million euros in the first round. And then we continue to back these companies uh, in subsequent rounds until exit. And fund size? Our current fund, uh, our third fund that we're investing from is 100 million euros. And before that, we had two different funds. So in total, we have 200 million euros under assets under management. And the new fund that we are raising is going to be slightly larger. It's a 150 million fund that we are have just started to raise. I was going to ask a question about LP Appetite because I love that we have Renee and Julie in this call. It's, it's, I'm really, really happy that we managed to do this, which is, Renee, I'd love to start by asking you, LP Appetite, 08, 07, 06, right? And today... Because now we're seeing, you know, if, if just by reading the media in venture, right, there's funds popping up in the space all the time. And that is amazing. It's super exciting. But I believe there has been an inflection. But I'd love to hear your take as someone who's been doing this for at least 15 years, right? You're yeah. celebrated that recently. Yeah. And then, Julie, I'd love to ask you to follow up also with your view. You know, you've also been with the firm for six years or so, if I'm not mistaken. But you definitely have a different view. And also, you know, your role in, in the firm is slightly different. So I'd love to have, have you both comment on that. When we started in 2007, obviously we were, we were labeled clean tech and everything that we were doing was la labeled alternative energy. Now, I don't know whether you ever hear the word alternative energy uh, these days. Yes. The big difference between now and then is that renewables are not alternatives anymore. They are, you know, the driving force of the transition yeah. and accepted as an integral part of uh, how the energy system is working. And that's only going to grow. If you put that in perspective also on where the money is flowing, then uh, we're talking about a completely different story. Um, while in 2007, 8, 9, 10, we still had to explain what we were doing and why, 
Now it's not a question of why, but only on how and what is our, our core focus. So we are very happy that uh, we have, meanwhile, built up a good story. I think we can underpin what we are doing. Uh, we have built a track record. We have extended our team dramatically uh, with you know great people like Julia. And therefore, I think the appetite for the LPs to join a fund like ours should be good because the sector we're in is obviously very en vogue and in interest right now. The only thing that obviously is not in our control is how the total economic outlook will develop from here on. You know, we are entering into an inflatory environment. Interest rates are going up. Uh, We have, you know, a tension in the world. You don't know what that will do with the financial worlds at large. But I think we are at the right spot at the right time with the right team and with the right message. Yeah, absolutely. That's also what I see in the market. So uh, definitely we're not alone anymore in the as an energy VC. So the energy transition is now considered the single largest challenge that the world is facing in coming decades. Uh, and thankfully, many smart people are investing in this space now. So this challenge is so big that we can only solve it if we all work together with all these other funds. And if you look at LP appetite, clearly there has been a drop. So a lot less investments in general in venture capital and in general in financial markets. Actually, we don't see that in climate tech and especially energy transition because the budgets and targets for the coming years are so ambitious, especially also in light of the current energy crisis, that huge investments are needed here. And we see that especially institutional investors and family offices have a huge appetite to still invest in this space. Before we jump into the next topic, which is uh, the spotlight on Julie and hearing about, about Julia's journey, I'd love to just ask you, and I do this every time we bring on a climate tech fund, which is, I want you to talk some truth about this space. Are we seeing too many VCs painting themselves green these days? Are we seeing you know, too many newcomers to the climate space that have no idea what, what they're doing? You, you touched on, in, in, on it in the beginning, Renee, that you actually had VC experience, but you didn't have uh, much clean energy experience. So you might actually be one of those that would say, well, you don't need to have deep vertical expertise to be able to play this game. But I'd love to hear your perspectives, both of you. Yeah, let me start by saying that the world in 2007 was different than the world now. I think uh, we have touched on that topic uh, particularly. So I wouldn't say that any venture capitalist has a story to play in this energy transition game. So I would definitely say that having experience and know what the developments are and what is possible and not possible in this sector is, I think, a great asset. And that doesn't mean that others cannot you know, make good choices and help companies to grow in this space. But I think for us, it is uh, one of our selling points that we are a thought leader in this sector where we're going. So I would say there is always overkill in initiatives once the opportunities are starting to look rosy. <laughs> and that will then be, uh, again, corrected by uh, teams or VCs that will not make a next fund or uh, will show that they d- didn't deliver on the returns. Uh, by the way, that's the same way that happened in the clean tech sector, where it was hyped as the next uh, VC territory to be in, but it turned out to be much more difficult. I, I'm not saying that uh, even though the market is large, that it is difficult to make the right choices in this sector. And just stating general terms like clean tech or whatever is not enough to underpin really what you are looking for in a venture that you want to invest in. I remember very vividly that one of our LPs asked us, can you really stipulate why you can connect your vision to what you are able to execute on. And for us, that was obviously that we had a vision that things were going to go in a digital way in the energy sector. And we could prove that we, you know, with our experience from Outer and myself working at Philips, where that same thing happened, the whole digitalization of the businesses that Philips was in were influential. That connection made us stand out with respect to this LP 
and then uh, many followed. So I think just jumping on the train of the next uh, wave is not enough for a VC to be able to raise capital nor to deliver on its promises. It takes a little more. It's indeed funny to see how in the past year, tens of new climate funds have been raised in, in Europe alone uh, and then more even in the rest of the world. And all of them are now looking for investment professionals with a successful track record in climate tech investing over the past years. Sorry, Julia, I need to interrupt you just to say that it's actually funny because obviously we talk with a lot of GPs and we've, we've had a couple of those conversations with these funds that you're kind of referring to, of kind of looking for experts, advisors with industry expertise. So I just want to double click on that, that we've also seen that. So I completely agree. Sorry, go on. Yeah, no, but that, it's, it's, it's very clear that everybody obviously wants track record. So if you are a new first time fund, uh, you need to get the track record from hiring good people or finding good founding partners that have a successful track record in climate tech investing, preferably then within a specific niche. So for example, um, energy, which cannot really be considered a niche, but a sector and preferably with a diverse setup. So men and women from various different backgrounds. And of course, knowing the history of this sector, I'm aware that there's almost no one fitting that profile. So some very aggressive hunting has been going on everywhere uh, in yeah, friends that I have in the sector. Everyone has been uh, aggressively hunted and uh, some people left and other people stayed where they are. But we also saw a lot of new good people coming to the sector. So people with indeed a background in digital technologies or a background in fintech or background in well, uh, from industry. Uh, so I think that's a great addition also to the sector. So at Sad Ventures, we are usually considered to be the energy expert or the digital energy expert in deals. But we really like to co-invest with people from a different expertise that can also add to the success of the company. Julia, I think it's great that we should put some spotlight on you as well. And I'll say why. I think it's interesting because of your journey within Set Ventures as well. You've been with the company uh, roughly six, six years or so. Being recently announced as, as a new partner, if I'm not mistaken, May 2022 or something. Yeah. And I have this strong opinion. This is my own personal opinion, which is I think venture is an industry where people are notoriously not loyal. <laughs> Meaning we see a lot of people jumping around firms to kind of progress in their career. And it's super interesting to talk with someone like you that actually had that dedication to one firm and is now at, you know, what many would say is like the ultimate aspiration right reaching partner level i'd love to ask you uh very directly you know what do you think allowed for that and shed some light on what's going on behind the curtains at set ventures yeah so thanks for that question to, to comment on that first i believe that there is indeed a lot of jumping around in uh, regional funds and in uh, corporate venture funds but then at, at successful financial venture funds i see a lot more loyalty around me it's funny how the lack of a carry outlook can make people jump around <laughs> <laughs> It's not only Gary, it's not purely financial, but it's just being a small company, a successful company with a team that closely works together, obviously has huge benefits. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, yeah, as, as an introduction to myself, I'm Julia Padberg. I'm a partner at Set Ventures. Uh, I have a background of six years of corporate finance advice in the uh, European energy sector. And six and a half years ago, I joined Set Ventures as an associate, uh, so pretty junior. And this year I signed up to become a partner. And at Set Ventures, um, yeah, we, we really invest in digital energy technologies. And, and I've seen the success uh, over the years that we made at Set Ventures. And therefore, I'm, I'm really incredibly excited to uh, sign on here for the next fund. I'm going to let Andreas follow up with the question. I just want to say something that I just remembered. And Set Ventures, you guys did something that I so much enjoyed. First time we met, it was actually, I think I first spoke with one of your analysts. I think he's an analyst, Armin or whatever. Yeah. Then I spoke yeah. with Renee. Uh, and I remember that what was really cool is that I asked, could you guys please send us your first deck? 
in your most recent deck, you know, so the 08 deck, and uh, I can't remember exactly when, but the 2022 deck. And I just want to say, we can't, we can't really share all the details of that, but I want to say to, to all of the audience, it's really cool to see what stayed almost exactly the same just by comparing the documents and what changed it in the vault. And I think that's also something that, Julia, maybe we, we should talk a little bit about, and, and Renee as well, of course, of that, that evolution of how you build next fund based on the track record of the fund before. You missed out on an opportunity to get, I think, 600 likes or something on LinkedIn because uh, <laughs> we just had point nine. Uh, uh, their founding partner published their thesis changing where he just changed the fund number and the fund size. And that's basically it. Um, and, and you could have done almost the same. That's the same. And we all do it for the likes. Everyone knows but, that. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, of course, I wasn't there for the fundraising of the first fund, uh, but I was there for the second and third fund and now for the fourth fund. And indeed, our thesis that the main value of the energy transition is going to be in digital solutions, software and services solutions, that hasn't changed. We're very a very strong advocate of that still. Renee, uh, would you jump into this one and, and, and tell us a bit about the development of the firm, both you know thesis-wise, but also culture-wise? And then, Julia, you've experienced it from the other side of being an employee all the way up to partner. Mm-hmm. Tell us how that journey has been. But Renee, kick us off with your leadership reflections on this. Well, first on the thesis side, it was, was just discussed. I truly believe that you have to build on your experience from one fund to the other and not deviate too much. Obviously, there is things that you in the next fund you want to put more emphasis on uh, and leave others out. So it's not just uh, changing the numbers and uh, of the sequence of funds and, and, and the amount. It's a little bit more than that, but it can also not be you know 180 degrees the other way because you know what are you doing then and who are you fooling? And so we have been building on that expertise uh, and experiences that we had in the funds and build the story uh, on that. And also we build the team on that. We feel that a good uh, venture fund is not a hierarchically organized organization. We hope that everybody experienced that we have involvement from everybody in the team in every step of the decision making to come to an investment, but also afterwards on how we deal with issues. Obviously, some people are more vocal than others and others are more experienced than others. But everybody, there's an open platform in our um, weekly meetings to discuss and to bring your, your opinion. That also means that we hope that people that join us uh, feel that that works that way and that you are getting exposed very early on to everything that has to do with you know, becoming a good venture capitalist, particularly in our case in the energy transition sector. From a portfolio management point of view, because we always forget that actually that's the core of our business, is uh, once you have uh, invested, how do you build companies? we always have a full partnership involvement in that. So uh, all of our the partners at, at SET will take a uh, board seat at the supervisory board level. From there on, we manage our um, companies and help them to become successful from that, that perspective. And that uh, is not only limited to uh, to partners, there's also people that have you know been with us and have gained the trust from us that can take that position. And Julia is a good example of that, who has already had a couple of uh, board seats uh, under her belt and is still now executing on a few more. Uh, maybe starting at an observer role, but also actively also being uh, in charge herself. And that's how we uh, try to build up also experience in the team uh, going forward. And I think that is what we uh, try to do. Yeah, to add to that, I'm yeah, I'm really proud to work in this team. As partners, we've worked very closely together over the past years. And I'm by far the youngest, uh, which allows me to still learn a lot from my, my older colleagues every day. I'm by far the oldest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there has to be a difference. <laughs> Julia, you're not that young. You've been around for quite some time. I, I'd love to hear your reflections on age inside a team and what the pros and cons of that is. Because, you know, it, age does bring different perspectives, right? That is something that I at least think is, is quite true. 
Yeah, that's correct. So indeed, um, my, my older and more experienced colleagues really still teach me every day on how to help entrepreneurs to scale, bringing a wealth of experience and a lot of examples of, of how things practically work out if you think of something uh, when you start uh, investing. That is absolutely necessary, I believe, for having a successful venture capital fund. On the other hand, there are, of course, advantages to being younger and having a fresh look at things. For example, uh, not being too skeptical about new technologies, but have an open mind. For example, uh, the really the pros and cons practically of, of something like blockchain technology or AI, machine learning. Yeah, as a younger person, you might be a bit more uh, receptive to that. And you don't have the, uh, the yeah, we tried that no seven mindset. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's always uh, there, there could always be a reason to try something again if you have a fresh look. And then also, of course, connecting with entrepreneurs in the ecosystem, it really helps if you have a diverse team with younger and older people so that you can connect on a personal level with entrepreneurs and co-investors. You know, as I said, uh, jokingly, I'm by far the oldest and it's not only true, but it's also a fact of, uh, of life that uh, you grow older. <laughs> but I, I also see that entrepreneurs are getting younger and younger. It's, it's a wealth of young people that, that are entrepreneurial, that start their companies, want to do something good for the world and enter the energy transition space or the climate space, whatever you call it. And if they are confronted with only people like me, then, you know, I wonder where the click will be. You know, it is therefore also good to have in the team uh, younger people that have more, you know, immediate connection, meet in other places than I would typically go to and for networking, etc. So yeah. it's a great, uh, you know, diversity, not only in the, uh, in gender, but also in age, yeah. character, experience. And if that mix is well organized within a fund, you have a chance to be uh, really successful. I really believe that, as said, the, the strength of our team lies in the fact that we all have completely different personalities and skill sets, and indeed uh, diversity in all sorts of different aspects, but that we do share the same yeah. core values and enjoy having drinks together after work, preferably on a boat in the Amsterdam canals. Ah, yes, of course. <laughs> of course. So, so I have a question that might actually fit very well into the, the quickfire round, which we are rapidly getting closer to. And that is, give me one example of an investment that you either looked at or actually did in the 07, 08 and didn't work, but now you're seeing actually working. So I, I'm asking this because we're all very, you know, much of the technology that we know we need, we also knew we needed back in 07 and 08. And I'm sure there were daring entrepreneurs racing for companies that would solve those issues back then, but where you looked at it and said, no, the time is not right, but now the time actually is right. Do you have any of those examples? Well, I can I can bring one to the table that we invested in and didn't work out, and we see now a total revival of it, or at least still a, a big need. We invested in a solar installer, so a company that bought solar panels and organized from a consumer perspective, customer perspective, how to get these things installed in the right capacity, in the right uh, manner. That company grew from 9 million in euros to 180 million in actually three years. It's amazing. But then because they were dependent on the subsidies to create the market for solar installations at the end user, they were also confronted with uh, sudden changes in the policies at governments in France, in Italy, in the Netherlands. And suddenly they were stacking up uh, inventory and the banks didn't allow to finance anymore and they went bankrupt. So this company fell from a... 180 plus million yearly revenue to bankruptcy in, in six months. Wow. And that is a big experience for us uh, to take that into account, how vulnerable you are if you are dependent on subsidies. 
if we look at today, one of the biggest challenges in the whole energy transition is, you know, who is helping me getting my stuff on my roof and organized in a way, controlled in a, in a certain way, that I, me as, a, as an end consumer who is willing to participate in the energy transition have a smooth ride. And there's a lot of companies now popping up trying to do that again. And uh, yeah, we definitely have experience here. Uh, we have our bruises, but we definitely look at that space as well to be needed. I'll get in contact, Renee, because we will probably this year or next year change the roof on our house. And I've been wanting to get a solar <laughs> roof, but I've at the same time thought, yeah, there might be a price on the roof, but then how the fuck will I get it up there from someone in Denmark who has no idea how to do that? <laughs> Guys, we are reaching the end of the episode, and, and that is when we do the quickfire round. Quickfire round, we ask quick answer questions, 30 to 60 seconds each. And I hope you're ready. And I'm going to start, Renee, with asking you the first one, which is in climate, energy, sustainability, broadly defined. What areas, sectors, or technologies excite you the most, but that you see other people around you not really that excited about? Well, this is totally out of out of scope of uh, our fund investment, <laughs> but I am a, a big proponent of uh, fusion technology. People in the firm know that very well, and I think that is the black swan of the energy transition. We will solve it one day. I'm not going to go into discussions whether it is in five years or in 10 years or in 20 years, but we will solve the, uh, the fusion nut and we'll have a, a stable baseline uh, solution in addition to all the other CO2-free uh, generations uh, going out there. Julia, I ask you the exact same question. What excites you that people around you don't care that much about? That's a difficult question because I'm of a younger generation that is generally getting excited by stuff that everyone is getting excited about, such as the application of new software technologies like blockchain and deep learning, uh, electric transportation. Uh, maybe one area that is not so common yet, but starting to become more popular is sustainable shipping and especially the use of AI and software technologies in that. But in general, I believe I'm usually slightly before the big hype. I get excited about stuff. <laughs> Great answer. Julia, the second question I'll direct at you first, which is most of our listeners are GPs, many of which emerging GPs. And so what would be your top tips, whether that's one, three or 10, to emerging GPs out there who are fundraising? My tips would be to focus on your strengths and actually focus on that. So don't try to become the next generalist impact fund but focus on something where you and your colleagues really have an edge and where you can prove a track record. Renee, exactly same question. Top tips for emerging GPs out there. I would actually copy the answer that Julia gave because that's what I was thinking of, matching your vision of what needs to be done with the capabilities of finding the right companies and help them become successful. That would be my first tip. The other one is stick to that story. Don't change your story because you might want to get an LP on board that has a slightly different agenda and want to accommodate that as well. Ultimately, you will become uh, you know, a servant to a lot of uh, uh, bosses that uh, you cannot manage. So um, stick to the story as well. I love that. I was actually about to interrupt you, Renny, when you added that second tip, because I was going to say it's something we hear a lot, be highly differentiated. But the second thing we hear a lot is actually do what you're going to say you do. And, yeah. and you know, don't kind of change with the winds. And yeah. I love that. Yeah, particularly in fundraising, yeah? particularly in fundraising, because it's so tempting to say, well, if, if an LP, you know, that you really would like to get on board has a, a mandate that is slightly off uh, what you do, you know, be yeah. careful not to change your own story, but rather try to convince them to understand what you're trying to achieve. Otherwise, yeah. you're going to have an uphill battle going forward. We hear way too many stories of those. Let's not deep dive into that rabbit hole. Third and final question. Julie, again, I'll start with you. And this might be a tough one, but I love it because of that. What is the most counterintuitive learning you've had since you've been with, with Set Ventures, so in the last six years or so? Hmm. <laughs> I love this. Learning. That, that's a very difficult question. 
I need to think about that a bit longer. <laughs> Renee, what, what, what about yourself? What would you say uh, the most counterintuitive learning since you've, uh, you've started <laughs> Set Ventures in the last 15 years? Well, I think the basis of an investor like us is that you first fall in love with the opportunity to invest in. And uh, you get excited and then your colleagues ask you five questions, maybe four, maybe even three. And then you lose all the love that you have for it because the reality sinks in. That is counterintuitive because, you know, at face value, you like what you see, but then you have to come to the conclusion that it's not as attractive as it was. And then you have to let it go. Then you have to say, well, hey, um, unless, you know, you are really, really convinced your colleagues are wrong, that you have to let it go and, uh, and come to the, a, a, a combined conclusion. That's sometimes tough and counterintuitive. Julia? Yeah, my observation in the past years has been that actually the best investments that we've made were very controversial. So there was no agreement in our team that we should do the investment initially. So there's been a lot of debate going on. It really needs to be a very difficult decision where the market is not clear yet on that this is going to happen. But one of us or a few of us have that vision that we share with the entrepreneur. I love that. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us at the European VC. It has been a blast as always. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the European VC the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love the show, share it with your friends and join our newsletter at eu.vc. Vauban, a Qatar company, is now making it even easier to launch your angel syndicate with their new product called Atom. Angels provide first checks and are an integral component for founders to launch their businesses. With Atom, angels can band together to launch an SPV for $2,000 plus 2% of the raised capital, which is up to 200,000 US dollars. There's lower fees, more deals, and more equity ownership in the best tech companies. Check it out at vaban.io forward slash EUVC. And don't forget to mention EUVC.